The Physician's Road. Create your life in medicine, on your own terms. Today, we are on the path to wealth. Today, on The Physician's Road podcast, we talk about early stage angel and venture capital investing, also known as VC investing. We talk about what it actually is, how to evaluate potential companies, and the risks to watch out for if you decide that you want to invest in this potentially lucrative industry. Go to thephysiciansroad.com forward slash VC to download our industry guides on how to become an effective VC investor. Again, go to thephysiciansroad.com forward slash VC to download our industry guides on how to become an effective VC investor. The Physician's Road is brought to you by Vernonville Asset Management. Vernonville Asset Management was created to help physicians build wealth and create income beyond Wall Street. Through our exclusive private investments, doctors can begin to free themselves from the burdensome regulations in healthcare by creating income streams independent of medicine. Go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get your free report, Wall Street's Biggest Lie. Again, go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get Wall Street's Biggest Lie and free yourself today. Welcome, everyone, to the Physician's Road podcast. I am Dr. Eric Tate. Today, we're on the path to wealth, and I am so happy to bring um, some new friends that I found uh, in a recent project that we were working on. And so many of you all may know that we've um, just kind of begun to explore the angel investing, VC investing world. And whenever we move into a new space, I always like to find experts who are in that space to try to guide us and give us more information. I'm a firm believer in mentorship and talking to people uh, who are further down the path than I am to try to go ahead and help us move around some of the landmines that are out there. And so as we personally move into this space, what I want to do is bring to you all the Physicians Road audience the things that we learn along the way. And so today we're going to do angel investing, kind of VC investing from an early stage standpoint. And what I mean by that is we're here with Dirk and Sujata from Nightscape Ventures, and they are an early stage VC company that has just started in the Houston area. And what drew me to them was the fact that they really just came from the investing side of the, the world to start their own fund. And they have very unique backgrounds in this process. And, and I thought that, wow, this would be great for people who are just starting out because many of us are in that same space. We've made maybe one or two friends and family investments and in small businesses that we were looking at. I think this would be a good way to learn how to more systematically go through that process so it doesn't feel like we're just kind of spraying money at, at a wall. And so let's just dive right in. So Dirk and Sujata, please kind of tell us about yourself. Give us some of your background, kind of your educational background, um, your professional backgrounds, um, so the audience can get a sense of kind of who you guys are. Great. Hey, Eric, this is Dirk Kumar. I'm glad to be on your podcast. Uh, my background is uh, 25 years in corporate finance, uh, started off my career in sort of the Fortune 500 space with fairly large companies like Westinghouse and Black & Decker, and then moved uh, in the latter part of my career into the middle market private equity space, and uh, had a successful exit as a CFO a couple years ago of an oil and gas technology uh, company and uh, decided I wanted to uh, pursue uh, something different in, in my career after, after that time. And so uh, started a venture fund last year, and, uh, and we can continue more details on that as we uh, do the discussion. 
And, and so let me clarify, when you say a successful exit, what does that mean exactly? Sure. The uh, company was uh, held by a private equity firm, and then it got sold to an industry player. As probably most of your audience knows, uh, there could be a number of exits. Uh, when a company exits, it could be sold to another industry player. Uh, it could, If it's a private company, it could go into an IPO. Uh, or if it's a public company, it could go back into a private mode. So a number of options. So in my case, uh, it was that it was uh, a company that was held by a private equity firm uh, that after uh, holding on to the investment for five years, they made a sale to another industry player. Got it. Thanks. That that's that's a good clarification for that. And Sujata, Sujata, how about yourself? Thanks, Dirk. Again, um, you know, glad to be part of this podcast with Dirk. Um, so, from my background, um, I have a master's in computer science and an MBA from Rice University. Um, so I started off my career in, you know, traditional IT, um, took myself to being a CIO of uh, a manufacturing, uh, automotive manufacturing company. And um, after that, decided that, you know, I wanted to kind of run technology companies, not just uh, uh, do the IT aspects of it. And so I had the opportunity to um, do that. Um, through running a business development for a large technology company. And that led me to actually coming in contact with the CEO of another company that, you know, that I got to then later run. Um, so after doing these stints of running technology companies in big and small companies, I decided uh, that I would uh, start my own consulting practice to help uh, companies understand technology adopt technology, leverage it in their operations. So I've been doing that uh, through my company since 2014. And when we started our fund, it was a natural segue for me to partner with Dirk and run this fund. Perfect. I think that's, and I actually think that's a perfect segue into how did you all begin kind of your personal investing journey in the space and then um, in the kind of angel and VC investing space? Sure. Uh, uh, a little bit of a story about our, uh, our, our, our son. He, uh, he went to UT Austin, graduated in uh, 16, I'm sorry, graduated in 14, and then uh, went to work uh, at a large company for a couple of years. And then in 2016, he co-founded his uh, own startup uh, and moved up to New York. Uh, that really got us involved, I think, as, as probably most parents would probably do. They would try to help their kids as much as they can. And so we got involved uh, in our son's startup from uh, giving him guidance, giving him mentorship. Uh, I think very much similar to what both of us have done in the corporate world. Uh, in the corporate world, uh, uh, we try to obviously mentor and, and uh and coach uh, people uh, that are on our team to make them successful. That, that way they will help us be successful. Uh, and that's really what got started us on this journey from that perspective. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Sue? No, and, and you know, both of us have been in large corporations, um, kind of been part of acquisitions and divestitures. So investment uh, was part of our core competency, but part of a uh, bigger company portfolio through our son's company, Lovesmart, we really got into our startup world, I would say. Other than just angel investment, uh, we actually got into not only investing in, in our son's company, but also guiding both uh, Sandeep and his co-founder and, and really, um, you know, be part of their success. 
Got it. And beyond what you've done with your son, have, the, have you done any other early stage startups? Uh, pretty much that was the, the one that we started with. And then as I, uh, after my exit uh, two years ago, uh, started talking to a number of my sort of corporate buddies in, in Houston, uh, really started to understand what some of them were already doing angel investing. Uh, and from my perspective, I decided I can continue on the angel investing route or either I can go ahead and start my own fund, and uh, and we'll get into this a little bit more. Uh, in, in a fund, you're actually investing in a portfolio of companies versus investing in one one or two companies as an angel investor. Uh, being a former CFO, being a finance guy, I'm always for risk miti- risk mitigation, and so to me, investing in a portfolio always seems to be the safer route than investing in 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 one or two companies. Uh, and I would say that was sort of the main impetus of, of starting a fund uh, rather than continuing down the angel investment path. Gotcha. So let's pull back then, because that's actually where we want to go next is, so why did you all start your firm? What was, what was, what did you see that was needed in the space um, that you couldn't find elsewhere? Uh, no, that's perfect. Um, you know, Eric, uh, uh, we always like to tell this as a story because interestingly it is, um, it, it was really, a, um, a great story from our perspective. So uh, when we, you know, uh, we were helping uh, Sandeep and Love Smart and we saw the success it was bringing, um, we, we don't, um, you know, take credit for all the success, but we enjoyed the counseling that we were able to give uh, from our corporate backgrounds, uh, both from, um, you know, uh, from, from operational point of view, from really an organizational point of view and people point of view, there were so many things that we could help uh, our son and his co-founder with. So um, when we, you know, um, Dirk talked about his exit and how he, um, you know, in in 2017, um, you know, he came out of his CFO role and we were sitting and deciding, you know, what next, what could we be doing? And, um, you know, our son came to us and said, hey, you should do something that you guys are really good at. And this is a natural extension of your corporate, uh, you know, careers is it's really do start this as a, you know, a venture fund and help many companies succeed the way you helped us. Um, So that got us thinking. And uh, both of us love to get outside our comfort zone, do reinvent ourselves. That is in our DNA. So we weren't worried about doing something different. Uh, what really, um, you know, we got doing research on is what is the Houston ecosystem? What do people invest in? What are the startups? What are what gets investors excited? And we did a lot of due diligence working with a number of, uh, you know, the incubators in Houston, like Station Houston. Um, we got talking to a number of startups and a number of investors. Um, then we got went to New York. York, um, and we did the same thing there, talking to VCs. It's a crowded VC market in in um, in New York. So we got talking to a number of players. I think Dirk spent a few weeks there talking to many of the VCs and startups in, in the New York area. Um, then we found the gaps that, um, you know, uh, that we, you know, we didn't think we would uh, even find. The gaps were in a couple of fold. One is um, Houston is the uh, fourth largest com- uh, city in, in this country with a very small ecosystem of venture capitals. 
and it's really a handful. And in the startup uh, world that is focused primarily on oil and gas and uh, medical. Uh, medical, two great industries. Um, but you know, there was a world out there that the Houston investors were not getting access to. So we, uh, the small number of VCs, a very focused startups, and you go to New York, and New York is saying, hey, we have all these different companies here, but uh, we are in stiff competition, so the valuations of companies go up. Well, we would love to come into the Houston market um, and, and get access to the companies that are, you know, they're mind-blowing companies in Houston we don't get access to. So we found the perfect gap where we could give Houston investors access to New York, um, you know, startups. Um, and then the, uh, the New York investors, um, you know, access to Houston startups. And we get to expose the, the startups as we um, invest in them to a wider ecosystem. So that was how Nightscape was formed. It's formed on this idea that it, we not only can help our startup, connecting them, counseling them, um, investing in them, but give them a larger access, both from an investment portfolio, um, investment perspective, and also from a startup perspective. Got it. Perfect. And so that's a great overview of kind of who you guys are and why you are in the space. Now, let's take it back up to 30,000 feet because many people are going to be listening, um, have no clue what this space is. They've heard the term angel investing. They've heard the term friends and family investing. They've heard the term venture capital investing. Let's just walk through for a few minutes what those different processes are. And let's just take it chronologically. And then if you can add in also kind of usually the amounts of money that are going into companies during those phases. So someone can have a clear understanding of what the what this um, space looks like. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take that one. So basically, uh, uh, and, and, and I'll sort of uh, here and there talk about our son's experience, because I think that's very much of a parallel of, of, of how these things work. Uh, you know, when a founder has an idea, whether it's himself or maybe him and a group of his friends or buddies, uh, they have an idea and they say, hey, we want to get this off the market. Well, as we all know, it's difficult to go to a bank. It's difficult to go to strangers and say, give me money. The easiest is obviously to approach friends and family, uh, uncles, cousins, grandparents, uh, parents uh, that are that obviously see beyond past your idea. And they just obviously want to invest in, in you, the person. And, and so that's usually how most of these companies get started or startups uh, get going. Is, uh, is they get small checks. It could be $5,000, $10,000, $20,000 checks. Uh, we ourselves, same thing. We wrote our son a $20,000 check to get him off the ground. Uh, and through that, you usually raise about anywhere from $100,000 to $200,000 to get the process going. And so the founders have some money to then whatever they need to do, whether it's market research, whether they actually want to start developing a product, whatever that is they do. And... That initially starts a journey, and I would say that's maybe sort of the first year or so into the journey, the first year, year and a half into the journey. Then as they start networking, start doing the market research, they will then connect with angel investors who then want to actually help them. And because of either the angel investors have a, a corporate background or a specific industry background, that immediately resonates with them and they say, hey, you know what, we'd like to help this person because it's something that we have a background and we can assist them. 
And then in that case, the angel investors are maybe writing slightly larger checks, maybe $20,000, $30,000, $50,000 checks. And so now we're looking at raising, so after that initial couple hundred thousand friends and family, maybe another 250 to 300,000 from, from angel investors. And then now, so you're, you're now sort of a, a year or two down, down the road. And, and now the founders have actually started developing some sort of a product. They've done the market research and they've got some ideas of, hey, here's what we're, what we're headed towards. Okay. And uh, that's when they will start connecting. Now, the angels, of course, a lot of them are connected to VCs and that's where they may do intros to VCs. And the venture cap, the VCs, the venture capital funds, they will, they'll usually come in only after there is some sort of a product and the market is there. So if it's still very much in limbo, the, the VCs will, will stay out. So the VCs will come in. Hey, looks like you've got some product. You don't necessarily have to have any revenue. You may not even have any customers, but you have a general idea of what the product is, what the market is. Um, and, and the funny thing a lot, of, a lot of people may say is, are you actually solving a problem that someone needs solved? I mean, a lot of times founders think, hey, I need to solve this problem. And they take it out to the industry and the industry is like, no, we're perfectly fine. That problem doesn't need to be solved or there's already a solution and we're using it. So, so that's the, and, and what do you call that? The product market fit, right? Exactly. So is there a product market fit uh, that this thing will work? And so that's where uh, a firm like us, which is an early stage venture fund, uh, that's when uh, we, will, uh, we will come in, uh, review that, do our due diligence, and then do, do, do an investment if, if, things, if things work out. And in that case, uh, you're now looking at about a couple years down the road, now raising anywhere from maybe a half a million to a million dollars. So you had sort of that first couple hundred thousand friends and family, another hundred thousand from angels, and now you've got maybe anywhere from half a million to a million on the early stage VC funds. And then if the, if the company succeeds, the, uh, the early stage VC funds then intro uh, the founders to potential customers, and then they actually start doing pilots and demos uh, and then starting uh, start to get the initial revenue. Normally, somewhere around anywhere from a half a million to a million dollars of annual recurring revenue, ARR, is when the bigger VC funds will start noticing, and then that's when they will start coming in. And, and some, some folks in your audience may know Sequoia or Kleiner Perkins or some of the very big soft bank, a lot of the very big VC funds out there. That's when they start noticing and they will come in. And the way they notice is an early stage fund like us, we have those relationships. So we're connected with a lot of the bigger funds and the bigger funds look to us as sort of a feeder system for them uh, that we are doing some of the initial due diligence and the investing. And then once we vetted it out and, and then we sort of look at the bigger VC funds and say, hey, look, these guys I think are on onto something and there could be a successful journey ahead that's when the other, when the bigger VC funds come in. And then of course, from there, the checks are anywhere from a couple million up to hundreds of millions. So it goes from there. So hopefully that gives your audience a sort of perspective of the journey from sort of the beginning to, to, uh, to a series A, series B level of investments. So. so yes, and then we're gonna clarify some points. So let's move back to valuations, right? Because it's a conversation you and we had, right? Just so people can understand. So many of the people in the audience have given people money to do something, but may not have thought about what piece of the company they're getting for doing that. So can you walk people through kind of what they should potentially be thinking about when they're giving people money to do these kind of 
some kind of project, whatever it may be. Sure, sure. Usually, uh, uh, obviously, when something is starting out, there's no valuation. And then after there is some sort of a development of a product, there's an understanding of a market. Um, it seems in, in the early stage uh, of most company startups, somewhere from anywhere from a two to five million dollar valuation seems to be what, you know, if you Google this and you see it in the marketplace, that's pretty much standard. Anywhere from a couple million dollars to, to a five million dollar valuation as a starting point. And, and whether it's on the lower end of two million or on the higher end of five million will depend on the expertise of the founders, the type of technology. Uh, the, the marketplace, uh, some of your folks in your audience may have heard of the term blockchain. Blockchain gets a lot of buzz. And so the minute you say, you know, it, it, like any other investments, a lot of it is hype. And sometimes if there's hype uh, around something like blockchain, that'll tend to maybe migrate towards a $5 million valuation versus a $2 million valuation. And so that's a lot of what drives that. And that's sort of where the initial valuation starts. And then from there, as they start developing their product, it is then really developed, it's a determinant of, like anything else, of demand. If, if, uh, if there's only uh, two VCs in, at the next level that are interested, then the valuation may only creep up to $7 million. If there are 10 VCs that are interested, then the valuation may creep up to $15 million. So again, a lot of it is a supply and demand situation. Is there Absolutely. anything else that, yeah, is that good? I, that's pretty much how companies get value. Yeah. Yes. And, and so just so those of you that are listening, because it took me a while to wrap my mind around this, coming out of the real estate space from an investing standpoint, it's very much like a cap rate um, in real estate, meaning the market is going to determine what your valuation is there's not a hard set, hard and fast data set. There's not cash flow to make determination. So for those that are even looking in this space, you have to understand there's a certain amount of, there's an ephemeral nature about this, that if you're a hard kind of asset investor, a hard kind of, kind of a real asset investor, it can take a little bit of time to get your mind around how these numbers get determined. And so, you know, I'm still in the process of trying to get my mind uh, around it in, in, in many ways. And so, you also spoke about something called a Series A and a Series B. Can you kind of clarify what, the, what that means? Sure. So again, uh, to, uh, to walk through the journey of the funding. So as I said, we've got the friends and family, the, uh, and then some sort of an early stage or what they call a pre-seed round. Uh, and then the actual seed round is when the, when the, when the funds uh, from VC start coming in. Uh, and then really A, B, and C is just a level of investing. So uh, uh, the other part I didn't maybe mention is every round of funding uh, tends to be about a 12 to 18 month runway. In other words, how far out that money will take you with what, what is it that you want to do, whether you want to hire people or invest in a techno in, in some sort of a tech team, whatever that investment. But pretty much most investors, VCs will not give you a runway beyond 12 to 18 months. So that's about where it is. And so that's why every step of the way you go to the seed round and then the series A, series B is when the serious investors come in. Uh, and then again, as they invest, they're investing, you know, more millions of dollars, but again, still in that sort of 12 to 18 month runway uh, space. And uh, the normal journey, uh, I'm sure a lot of your folks in your audience have probably read about Uber and Lyft going through their IPOs recently. Well, they went through that journey. They went through a Series A, and then they raised more money in a Series B, and then they went to a Series D, I mean a Series C, and then to a Series D. 
uh, and then and then and now they're getting ready to go to an IPO. So I think it's more of uh, just different categories of in, in investment levels. What I'll add to it is the Series A, Series B. They all they're called growth growth stage investments, um, where they have a combination of revenue and um, they need uh, in order to make a company successful. Um, you know, you you need a team. You need to invest in market. And so to bring the right team, to get the right um, product to uh, market, you need a lot of investments. So the, the Series A, Series B investment is looking both at, you know, what is your revenue structure? How can you augment that revenue structure? And what can we do to make you more robust? So that's how the Series A and B kind of um, uh, look at companies. So, so would you say a good way to look at it is, these rounds of funding are basically allowing the company to survive and grow in 12 to 18 month intervals. That is correct. Got and it. each stage will build up on the, uh, on the previous stage, right? And the valuations should show uh, the, um, the impetus they have created or, or really the market that they have grabbed. Got it. Now, there's something in the lexicon called a down round. What is that exactly? Eric, you were breaking up there, so we lost you there. So, sorry, I said, uh, you, you hear oftentimes a, what's called a down round in these things. Um, can you explain what that means um, to investors potentially? A down round as far as just when there is like a, a lower investment or? Lower valuation kind of. Lower, yeah, that, that, that could happen. And I mean, what happens is uh, one group uh, in a Series A, the, the m- m- you know, it's like anything else, right? In any sort of business or even in life, there are momentum swings and things go up and down. And you may, uh, uh, you know, when your initial research says, uh, and I'll just throw an example that, hey, there are possibly 15 customers out there that are interested in mine and in, in my product. And these 15 customers are all 100 million revenue customers. And so therefore, the, the, the folks that are jumping in on the Series A will say, hey, we see a lot of potential and, the, and they'll do a valuation. Then what will happen is they go into the due diligence and a little bit of example that I gave earlier is a couple of those companies will say, you know what, we already have a solution. We think we're going to not, we're going to sit this one out. We don't think we're interested in this technology. So suddenly, what a year ago you thought 15 companies could be your main base of, of customers, maybe only seven. And so now that has taken them. Uh, and so the next round, the next investor will say, hey, you know what? We, the valuation we think is too high because they're not, no longer have 15 target customers. It's seven target customers, and therefore the valuation will go down. Now, and is there a chance that it'll come back up? Sure, it may come back up, or it may continue to go in a different direction. And, and what, what happens to an investor when that happens to them? So if they came in in A, in an up round, and B comes in a down round, what ends up happening to earlier investors in that process? Well, they, there will be some dilution of their investment. So that, that is what that is, will happen. There will be a dilution of the investment. But again, keep in mind, that's only if they want to quickly do an exit due to a number of family emergency or whatever they want to get out. But, if, but it's like anything else, it's no different than you holding on to your uh, a stock, if you will, and you bought the stock at 40 and the stock goes down to 20 and then it may get back up to 80. So as long as you don't do anything and you hold on to it, you'll get the appreciation. But if you suddenly say, I'm getting nervous or I want to eject, and then that's when uh, you know you will take a loss. So keep in mind, everything is still on paper until there is some sort of a final exit. 
um, what I would say is when when there is a um, um, a valuation a down valuation, um, no uh, no VC uh, no investor will go in and put a, che a check in unless they have looked at the management team, looked at the root cause of why the growth hasn't happened at the pace at which it it was supposed to happen. So they're going to look at what should I change to get the get it back on track. So. And so they are going to make those changes to get it back on track. So if there is no way that can be brought back on track, there is no investor who will go and put that money. Um, so people, you know, people are looking at it very, you know, uh, judici judicially with all the fiduciary responsibilities that they have in order to give back to their investors. So they they would look at how to change the company profile to be able to bring it on track. Got it. Perfect. So that's a good segue into, let's talk about for a new investor who wants to be in this space. So they're a professional like you guys were, or they're like, we have a lot of healthcare professionals. Um, they could be corporate people, doesn't really matter, but they're coming to this space for the first time. What are some of the things they should look out for? Um, what should they be looking for, first of all? And then what things should they be looking out for um, if they're new to the space? Um, so what I would say is what you see as trends in market. And let's look at, um, you know, uh, what uh, we'll give you a thing of how we look at companies. When we look at companies, we look at um, three things, right? Uh, one is the technology. Um, you know, how robust is it? Uh, what is, uh, you know, uh, what is the need for it in the industry? What problem is it solving? And how robustly is it solving it? And how can it scale? So we look at the product, the technology in all these different categories. Then we go into uh, the biggest thing that we look at, who are the founders? You know, what is the team looking like? And um, so from, from our perspective, we bet on the founders. Um, you know, it's about betting on the jockey then rather than the horse, um, just because uh, the, if the founders need to pivot. This is an ever-changing world with changing demands, and we need founders who can think fast on their feet, who can pivot, who can listen, who can adapt to what, uh, adapt the technology to what the, uh, the market needs are. So um, we look at, you know, we spend a lot of time with the founders and their overall team to make sure that, you know, that we are investing in the right company. The third thing that we look at is the traction, which is what we call the market. What is the, what is the market looking like? How big is a market? What part of the market, the total uh, available market, can these guys uh, tap into? So, um, and we do our research uh, on the market, talking to various um, uh, contacts that we have in that particular industry, or we would reach out to SMEs to go and look at, hey, hey there is this product, there is, what is, you know, is there a market for it? Or are they, is that a hammer looking for a nail? Or is that really a lot of pain points in the industry this technology is going to solve? So we look at it in a very holistic way to be able to say, okay, yes, this is the right company that we want to invest in. So that is how we look at, um, you know, the, uh, our companies, the companies are that we want to invest in, you know, so we call it the three T's, which is the technology team and traction. And uh, further, we look at 
the product market fit. Dirk talked about product market fit. We actually look at what is the market and is the product going to support that market. So flip it around, it's a market product fit and also a channel market fit. How are they going to, which channel are they going to use to take it to market? So we look at all these different aspects to be able to invest um, invest in, in companies. Um, now, uh, what, you know, what pitfalls do all of us fall um, into, right? Um, from a, we, we're all humans and we all have our own biases and we fall trapped to these biases. And the common biases we find are a confirmation bias. A confirmation bias is about, hey, you know, we like to hear what we like to hear. We don't want to hear anything negative. We want to constantly um, endorse our point of view and not negate our point of view. So, and, and that is the biggest trap investors fall into. Um, so how we just de-risk it by talking to different SMEs. Subject, yes. subject matter experts. Yes. <laughs> and um, and we, uh, we try to make sure we actually want to um, negate our, our hypotheses rather than validate our hypotheses. That's de-risking. And making sure, yes, we know this industry will thrive, this product will thrive. Why would it not thrive? What are the risks involved with it? The second is, you know, it, it's, it's really a bandwagon uh, bias where people invest in certain things because others are investing. What, you know, it's, uh, you know, it must be good because others are investing in it. And, um, and, and so that is, that is something you don't want to be a, have that herd mentality. You really want to focus on what you're good at, what you're good at understanding, and um, make sure that um, you understand everything before you put a dollar on the table with that company. The third thing that really people do is very anecdotal. Yes, this is my recent experience with this. So I should know what I'm do talking about or what I'm doing. Well, your past anecdotes are not a proof of future happening. So you need to really make sure you're connecting the dots in the right way. So um, these are, you know, these are some of the pitfalls as investors uh, one should avoid. Got it. That's perfect. And so that's a nice segue because you talked about kind of you all's thought process around this. So you all have made, you, you, you know, you've, you've been around for a little bit. You've made some investments. Can you give us kind of a, a quick blurb on each company and kind of what you liked about them and um, how they're doing so far based upon kind of what you had planned for them? Sure. So basically, uh, again, both of us, as we've said earlier, coming more from a corporate industrial manufacturing background. Uh, what we've grown up with, so to speak, over a number of years are things like productivity, efficiency, cost reduction. So any uh, startup that, that is sort of looking at those areas, that immediately, immediately gets us sort of uh, interested. Um, so there were two industries that we in, in invested in early on, uh, early last year in 2018. Uh, one was in the insurance industry and one was in the shipping industry. Um, and some folks in your audience may know those are very old industries, very slow to change. They're set in their ways. And so uh, it, it's going to take some amount of time to start getting some disruption and so on. And we really liked uh, the technologies that two of these companies had. Uh, the one on the insurance side is connecting 
small and medium-sized businesses to insurance products, uh, which again, the bigger insurance companies tend to go with the bigger clients because it's easy for them. Uh, working, trying to get insurance products to a number of smaller companies takes a lot of work. And so uh, this startup basically is creating a sort of a technology application, uh, initially starting on the retail side uh, of, of, of providing small and medium-sized businesses uh, with extended warranty insurance for their products. And so uh, that got us interested because some of the bigger in insurance companies said that they would want to keep a close eye on this technology and they'd be interested to follow where this technology goes because it's basically giving them an opportunity to get us into something that they themselves are not able to develop internally. Um, and as we all know nowadays, uh, a lot of times companies say, look, if we can't develop the technology internally, we'll just go buy the technology on the outside and we'll go invest in a startup or, or buy a, a biotechnology company. And um, so that's what we saw in that one. Our second investment was in the shipping industry, in the bulk commodity. Again, the shipping industry being a very old industry, a uh, lot of the information flow between the different parties from the cargo owner to the broker to the ship owner is fragmented and is not all connected. And again, so when we talked to the startup, they basically said, hey, we are trying to do a, we're trying to get information connection uh, so that uh, all all the parties can see uh, uh, where the progress of the shipment is. And uh, the simple example I'll give to your audience is we're all used to having uh, our FedEx tracking or UPS tracking so we know exactly where the package is along the way from when it uh, left the store to when it's being delivered to our house. So in that same way, getting that technology obviously at a much more complex level uh, when you've got million dollars of cargo that are moving from one port to another. Um, so those are the first two investments. You want to talk about the next two after that? Yeah, sure. Um, so what? Uh, before I get into it, one of the things that I want to say is um, our investment philosophy has always been, as Dirk said, about you know creating that efficiencies in the industries. Um, you know, uh, uh, removing the value leakage so that those industries can be disrupted. And the same way, uh, one of our uh, key passion is, is about social causes. If we can make money for our investors while uh, changing the world a little bit at a time, uh, we love that. Social causes are very important to us. So when we look at comp companies, um, you know, whether it is the two companies he talked about, is about you know, bringing access where access is not available today, whether it's insurance companies, um, you know, insurance uh, provided for small and medium businesses where there was no channel for bringing insurance, uh, you know, warranty insurance, or to because um, a couple of the others I'm going to be talking about where we were able to, uh, where these companies are trying to, um, you know, uh, attack a social cause. So I'll go with the one of the, um, uh, again, a, a supply chain. It's called ethical supply chain. It's about connecting um, all these um, providers, this, uh, the sourcing companies around the world that have the capabilities, whether it is providing uh, garments, it's providing, um, you know, and material, um, whatever it could be, that they have this cottage industry, whether it's in India or Bangladesh or Kenya and Nigeria, and 
but these companies have no access to the large supply ecosystem in, in the world. So to the market is actually sourcing those, um, uh, you know, those materials or those garments, um, procuring it from all these areas and bringing it to the targets, to the Bloomingdale's, to the Macy's of the world. And they do it in such a way that they're promoting ethical um, values, whether it is child labor, whether it is, um, you know, uh, how the labors are treated in that particular the working, uh, condition. the working, conditions working conditions within those environments. So they make sure that all that is upheld while giving them access to this overall um, big retail environment in around the world, whether it's United States or Europe. So it's, you know, those kind of, um, you know, uh, access is very hard to get. And that's, that was something that really interested us about uh, this company and, and what the founder was trying to do. The, the second one, um, a, a very uh, important cause um, to both of us is about how you can improve um, hiring of minorities and uh, and hiring of women within com companies, promoting this and promoting diversity in a workplace um, is is very very important to both of us. And when this company that was using leveraging uh, technology such as artificial intelligence and um, machine learning to actually remove biases in hiring, so that the hiring um, uh, the recruiter or the um, hiring manager within the company is actually looking at a holistic profile, the experience of the person, what they have done, not, you know, what gender they are or what race they belong to. And uh, fortunately, uh, unfortunately, I would say um, people tend to follow their biases, not because they want to, because that's what they are used to. And so if you remove that, then you're going to just provide the right people for the, <laughs> the right position, irrespective of what race they belong to or what gender they are. So this company, um, again, um, you know, very successful in, in uh, showing that they were able to improve hiring, uh, women hiring by about 90% in their first pilot was really um, appealing to us. Um, the the third one do you want to i mean the last one do you want to talk about yeah the last last one is uh in creating a digital platform uh again some of your audience may remember that last year toys r us filed for bankruptcy and so with that bankruptcy there's now a void in the baby goods market and uh so uh, uh this company that we invested in is basically creating a digital platform for uh baby goods, uh direct to consumer uh, and at the same time, uh, part of what we are all seeing nowadays happening in the marketplace is creating sort of this branding strategy story, if you will, beyond just the product. And so it is really, uh, I, I, some, I'm sure some folks in your audience know there are a number of companies out there that every time you buy one of their product, they will donate one to charity. And so things like that, again, that has a social cause, that has a message, or in this case in the baby goods, not only selling the baby goods, but also developing a community of parents. Uh, in some cases, it could be first-time parents who are sharing their experiences or what they're going through. Uh, there, there's obviously joy, there's some fear, 
of, of, of a first child. And so all of those uh, uh, developing that community and sharing those stories. So again, something that, that really we thought uh, more than just uh, selling the product, you're also developing this sort of community uh, and helping people uh, get ready for parenting. So those have been our, uh, our first five investments. Uh, from an expectations point of view, uh, uh, all of them are, are doing well. We, we, there's, uh, you know, we obviously try to track whether it's uh, uh, an increase in additional investors or increase in more customers, uh, increase in the, in the mar marketplace awareness, uh, even things like if they're getting good, good press. Uh, you know, if they're, if, uh, uh, if you, as I'm sure, again, a lot of your folks know, if you get uh, coverage in the Wall Street Journal and Forbes uh, and Time Magazine, those are all, uh, you know, good press that hey, that, that this is on the right track. And so, so far in the last uh, six to six months to twelve months since we've made our initial five investments, uh, they have all tracked very well. And and uh, uh, you know, we can obviously at another time we can get into some detailed discussions on how those have progressed. Perfect. That's great. I think that's a great overview. Um, so people can get a good sense of what the space looks like and what a early stage VC company just getting off the ground, how they think through the process of investing. Um, I think you gave some very great pearls and principles to think about. And I think you also were great in juxtaposing um, what people may do from an investment standpoint in traditional stocks uh, versus the different mindset shift you may have to have when it comes to doing more of the early stage. So it's, it's much more um, thoughtful than kind of once things have already gone public and maybe sitting in their 401ks and IRAs. So the hour is long. And so I want to give you all just a chance, one or two minutes just to wrap up. And is there anything you want to say to our audience um, you want to convey to our audience uh, before we wrap up? No, I mean, uh, yeah, just to summarize, I mean, the uh, we're having the, the key thing is uh, everyone asks us is, are you having fun? And, and, the, and the answer is yes, we're having fun. Uh, in our case, uh, both of us have been fortunate to have, uh, as we said earlier, some good, good corporate careers. Uh, we decided to do a change of pace and do something different. Uh, this is giving us that opportunity to do something different, uh, both from, an, from a, a number of viewpoints, from an investment point of view. Uh, from a social cause point of view, uh, and of course, mentoring and coaching uh, the future business le leaders of this country. Uh, so giving them an opportunity be, to, to, to be successful and uh, uh, what we can do to uh, help them do that. Got it. And I, I, I would echo those sentiments. And from my point of view, um, I'm doing exactly what I'm passionate about is, um, you know, investing in technology that is going to change the world. And, and also, in, you know, as a woman, I love uh, investing in, um, in women founders. And uh, we'd like to say that uh, two to three of our companies are run by women. Um, you know, so that is always exciting uh, for me to be promoting uh, women in this space. And, 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 the, and the third one, Dirk talked about it, is, is social causes. And we are looking at a couple of more companies that are, you know, highly socially driven and uh, we are super excited about uh, looking into investing in them. Great, great, great. That's perfect. I think that's a perfect way to wrap up. Um, that's very much in line with our, our ethos of, of using our, our investment dollars, not only to make money, but also to make the world a better place with those dollars. So um, I think you're going to put together a white paper for people to be able to download just about um, 
kind of early stage VC investing kind of kind of summarizing the things that we talked about. And yeah, so yeah. it's perfect. And so what what everyone should just do is go to the physiciansroad.com forward slash VC. So just the letter V, the letter C, and we'll put it on there where you can where you can get that white paper that will talk about kind of angel investing, early stage investing, so that you can have that kind of in front of you from that standpoint. So I want to thank Derg and Sujata from Nightscape Ventures for talking with us today and giving us a, an overview of what the angel investing um, early VC stage investing ecosystem looks like uh, in general and specifically kind of in the Houston market. For those of you that want to connect with us on a deeper level, please, you can join our Facebook group. You just go to Facebook um, and put in the Physicians Road and we'll pop up. Just answer the questions and we'll get you on. Also, please rate, review, and subscribe to us either on iTunes or the podcast platform of your choice. So we want to thank Derg and Sujatha for being with us here today on the Physician's Road, the path to wealth. Thanks, guys. Eric, thank, thank you, you very thank much. Thank you very much, uh, Eric. Bye. Bye. The Physician's Road is brought to you by Vernonville Asset Management. Vernonville Asset Management was created to help physicians build wealth and create income beyond Wall Street. Through our exclusive private investments, doctors can begin to free themselves from the burdensome regulations in healthcare by creating income streams independent of medicine. Go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get your free report, Wall Street's Biggest Lie. Again, go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get Wall Street's Biggest Lie and free yourself today. Thank you for listening to The Physician's Road, where you create your life in medicine on your own terms. Please go to thephysiciansroad.com and sign up for your free guides and resources.